Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I am your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to Mandalorian time. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where that came from. It just came from within. (laughs) It really, like, Caitlin, can we just take a step back? We've talked about this in the podcast before, but we just have to go all the way back to the beginning. (laughs) And just reflect a little bit about the origin story of when I was trying really hard in middle school to get Caitlin into Star Wars and there was no Star Wars left. It was after Revenge of the Sith. And the only thing that I was holding on to was the promise by George Lucas for the live action Star Wars TV show. And that was like 15 years ago. (laughs) It was 2006. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's insane. And it is here now. You know, that did not work out. But I do have to say, it's funny that there was a mention of the word underworld in this episode, because that's what the show was supposed to be called. And my ears perked up then. And I was like, that's definitely on purpose. Oh, that's funny. I missed that. Because I don't think the word underworld actually comes up a lot in conversation in Star Wars. And I think that they kind of shoehorned it in almost as like a wink. Because now we're finally at this live action show. It's just amazing. I can't believe we're here. <laughs> this really is the cool. Like this really does like full circle. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so crazy. Full circle. I've told this story before. We we have, but one of my like earliest memories of Charlotte is literally sitting at the lunch table in middle school, and me telling her about the last episode of Little House on the Prairie I watched, and her being like, "Just wait, just wait until the Star Wars live action show comes out, and then I'll talk to you about that." <laughs> I was like. Okay. <laughs> well, guess what? That's what we're doing right now. We're doing now. My God. It's crazy. It's really funny. Uh, but yeah, so Disney Plus is out. Did I know a lot of people had trouble logging on and stuff like that. You did not. I had a little bit of trouble finding it in the app store. Like it wasn't readily available. And even when I tried searching Disney Plus, it didn't come up. I had it, to use Siri. I Siri didn't work for me either. Finally, like after I restarted my Apple TV um, and it still wasn't showing up when I searched it, it showed up in the Discover section oh. and that's where I found it. But I was really – so Charlotte and I both got up at like – I was up at 5.30 actually and we were both up for the 6 a.m. release and I had my coffee and I was all settled and then I was like, where's the app? <laughs> and I was – really stressed for like five minutes my alarm went off at six and i pressed snooze and then i did like a quick scroll through twitter and i was like nope and i like threw my phone and i was like caitlin are you are you up is this happening and we basically watched it like simultaneously Mm -hmm. across the country it's kind of crazy yeah it was it was really it was really fun there was there's just something so great about waking up and knowing that there's a new Star Wars waiting for you and not just a new episode or something but a completely new venture and it was just like I felt like in this great little Star Wars cocoon I'm like it was a very cold and rainy day here in Georgia today and I had this like really hot cup of coffee and I'm like in my living room on the couch with a blanket and no one it felt like like no one else in the world was up except for my star wars friends like on twitter and we're all like searching for the app and getting ready to watch the mandalorian and i don't know it was just like this really kind of cozy experience getting ready aside from the like five minutes of panic of like i'm gonna have to watch this on my computer (laughs) um (laughs) but other than that 
I don't know. It's just it's so great seeing a new new places, um, and especially like live action is always just going to be so special. And of course, knowing that this is some of Charlotte and I's earliest conversations revolved around the live action Star Wars show, and it is finally finally here. And and. It was directed by Dave Filoni. That's why I was waiting for you to say it. I was like, and, and it's Dave. It's, <laughs> like, hello. What's so funny is that um, when I, at the, you know, the end credits, it says directed by Dave Filoni. I legitimately clapped. I paused, took photos. <laughs> and then I didn't like continue watching the credits it wasn't until the middle of the day today that i realized there's all this fabulous artwork in the credits but literally my episode stay paused on directed by dave filoni <laughs> you didn't realize that there was amazing artwork i thought that was the no. coolest thing ever no because i just sat and looked at directed by dave filoni <laughs> <laughs> and when i love I, that so much so i we, charlotte and i both watched the episode twice today and when i came back home from work today and turned it on again it was still paused at like directed by dave filoni <laughs> And then I watched through the credits. I was like, wow. <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. Then I was like, let's rewind it. Let's go back to Directed by Dave Filoni. For a second, I almost considered changing my header to Directed by Dave Filoni on Twitter. Maybe you should. Maybe I should. But I just, I really like that Luke drawing I have from The Last Jedi. That drawing's been with me since Last Jedi came out. And I don't know, I still really like it. Yeah, I just it was snowing here today, and it was just like I'm I'm so with you. It was like such a cozy morning. I can't wait to wake up early and watch The Mandalorian from now I know. on. I know it's, it's it's so weird. I I like I sprung out of bed really because yeah. of new Star Wars. I used to do this with Rebels when Rebels was airing the last season of Rebels. Like the way that it got put up um, on Disney Now or, or whatever it was streaming on. I don't even remember <laughs> Disney XD, Disney Now, like what happened, Xfinity, where was I? Um, but I remember getting up and watching Rebels early in the morning and that was always really fun. And I also had like my Rebels coffee and my Lothcat and Chopper and Lothcat were with me when we watched Mandalorian this morning too. They usually are in the recording closet with me, but I brought them out like to the living room and we like all snuggled together <laughs> to watch <laughs> Mandalorian. <laughs> well, we're about six minutes in and we still haven't said what we thought of it. So Caitlin, what'd you think of the episode? I really liked it. Me too. Yeah. I think anyone who listens is probably not surprised <laughs> that we <laughs> liked it. Um, we tend to love all Star Wars, more or less. I think that like once the season goes on, we'll really see like how this episode really fits in. Um, but I think that I think this set and like this is the first episode, so it's got a lot to do. Um, and I think for the most part, it did it all really well, and there were a lot of things that I really enjoyed about it, a lot of things that kept me guessing, and I have questions about, and it definitely makes me excited to tune into the next episode. Yeah, for sure. I I feel like in the beginning, with every new Star Wars, I feel like I'm like this, where it takes me a second to like settle in, mm -hmm. and I found myself just really liking it just even more the second time I watched it because I could appreciate those. And I don't know if that's like the anxiety in me when I watched a new Star Wars for the first time and I'm just like nervous about it or something. But by having the full piece, I'm able to go back. And the second time I watch it, I like it. Like the first time I watched it, I was unsure about some of the, I don't know, the humor or some of the lines. I, I don't know if I heard it correctly or something. It was also like 6 a.m., you know? <laughs> and 
like throughout the day, it kind of sat with me. And I think that's always a sign of a good story that you can appreciate something the longer it sits with you versus the opposite effect, which definitely happens to me sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I was just so excited to revisit it. And when I watched it again, it just those 40 minutes flew by, flew by. They really did. It went really fast, even faster the second time. Because I remember the first time I was watching it and I was kind of questioning the pacing of it. The pacing is it almost has like a staccato pacing in a way, like really fast moments and then like really slow in some mm-hmm. parts too. I thought it was a really interesting pacing of the episode and I wasn't sure if I enjoyed it, if I just haven't seen enough Westerns and this is how a lot of Westerns are paced. Um, I wasn't – it just felt very different from what we've seen in a lot of Star Wars um, that's come out ever uh, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. Star Wars in general. But the second time around, I was like, whoa – we're already at the end. <laughs> We're, here. Yeah. We're here. We've arrived. <laughs> it's funny because I was talking to my mom about it and she was like, oh, am I going to like it? And I was like, I mean, yeah, it's just it's weird because I'm trying to I, I watched it and I was judging it almost like a movie, mm-hmm. like an like an hour long movie. And I was like, I, and I need to remember that this is not a 20 minute episode of animation and it's just something completely new for Star Wars and I just have never seen Star Wars in this format before and I just think that we have to take a little at least I have to take a little bit of a step back and be like no this is our introduction to this character it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be perfect and we're not we might not even like him right away we might not like any of these characters right away because the job of the story is for that to like develop and unfold and change and I feel like you shouldn't have you know most pilots are messy because of this because there always has to be a beginning and I, I'm not saying that the pilot is messy at all. I don't think it is, but I definitely think it's something that you have to get used to, especially when you're used to like the film format. Yeah, I think, and I think having Star Wars like this is the first live action, the only live action Star Wars really that we can compare to our films, which mm-hmm. operate very differently. So I think you're right. Like keeping that in the back of your mind is really important. I am, yeah, like I, I really like. The episode, I it set up so many interesting things. And there are a lot of – I kind of feel like I did after I came out of The Last Jedi. After the first time I watched it, I was like, I really like that. There are things I'm not sure I liked. But overall, I'm 100% on board. And then when I went back and watched The Last Jedi and went back and watched the episode of The Mandalorian, I was like, no. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because these things, these things do have to sit with you. And like you said, we're coming into a very new – space in star wars a new format a new like it's not a new medium but it is a new medium and like a new entire time frame that we have very little information on as of yet and so i i think that you know if you i don't know i just think it did a really good job and and for me of course like we're of course coming into this very biased because it is dave's directorial debut and we're like oh my god yes (laughs) you know like that's our director that's dave (laughs) You're doing amazing, sweetie. You're doing amazing, sweetie. Keep going. (laughs) That's literally how I felt. But I felt – and I I found myself in the first viewing like getting almost like distracted by, okay, does this feel like Dave? Is this what I think Dave would do as a director? Is like does this feel like something that I would see in an animated show? And I had a lot of moments actually like that where I was like, yeah, this feels very animated and I can see Dave's influence in these pieces. And that felt really good, actually, because I was like, yes, I know Dave's directing style. It is different here on live action, but 
I can like before in things like Solo and Resistance and the sequel trilogy, it's like these pieces of Dave influence are kind of through the funnel and like through the grapevine. Whereas here it's very clear. And not only, of course, because he's directing it, but because he is directing it there and like he's an executive producer in it, too. It's just it's much different. And I don't know. It makes me really excited because if you remember at the Mandalorian panel at Celebration, you and I were both like 10 for 10. Yes, Dave Filoni. Love the trailer. Love the clips we saw. But like to be honest, like John Favreau gave us kind of weird vibes (laughs) with some Mm -hmm. of his comments that he had made. And I remember us saying – because John was like, yeah, Dave's kind of finally turning me on to the prequels and then saying that we have stuff from all of the eras of Star Wars in there. And you and I both were like, I don't know if I would trust John after his comments, but Dave is there and I trust Dave to do that. Um, So I know that I was a little uh, worried or hesitant about what kind of like prequel representation, if this this movie were – movie – if this show would feel too – Um, like original trilogy and it didn't feel like that at all to me so it made me really excited for what's coming down the line I agree what specifically did you kind of pull out as a very Dave thing I think that the character in the beginning like walked straight off of an animated show the first bounty (laughs) so true so Um, true he really did like the way he I mean just the fact that he was like a fun color for one thing. Um, but the the way he talked, I can totally see that in the middle of, you know, like Rebels. Like he kind of felt like a Rebels character if I had to put one down. I think the way that Dave like shot the spaces that we were in, it felt very fresh. And it honed in on details that he knows that like animated fans are always really interested in and like the way that they do sets and things like that. And you think about a ship like the ghosts, which we know pretty much every nook and cranny and Dave knows that we care about those things. And I felt like the shots that we got of the razor crest were very unique and like kind of, I just felt like I saw so much more of these spaces. And for me, that felt very Dave because I feel like they put a lot, they try to put as much detail into their sets that they can. Of course, like animation has a different kind of budget for sets and things like that. And that's something they're always talking about too. They're like, well, we wanted to do this, but we don't have the budget for it for every episode. But now, now (laughs) they've got the budget. And Dave's like, you know what? Let's add another bookshelf back there. (laughs) 10 million an episode. 10 million. (laughs) <laughs> Dave's like I can do whatever sets I want yeah. <laughs> um, and then too like some of the lighting choices as well that's something you and I have always really appreciated it's and, so true in so Clone true. Wars is like the lighting just gets like progressively better and more nuanced and seeing them play with that in this episode was really great like when they're walking in um, when the Mandalorian is like down in the actual space where the the ironsmith is the blacksmith mandalorian there has to be some sort of guild i don't know what that is the mandalorian guild we're gonna talk about the guilds but (laughs) when they're down there i thought that was really well done and then of course like the end shot like the way the lighting is in that shot is just oh my gosh perfect perfect. and i was like i've definitely seen this in so many animated shows and i don't know i think that like dave's framing was really unique in a lot of instances and i i think that that's from just like how he's gotten to maneuver the camera like digitally 
and then getting to actually realize that in a real space, I feel like gives you a much different perspective. I don't know. I, it felt there's this one shot that I really liked, and I don't know if this is a Dave shot, but it felt really different. And it's at the end when the Mandalorian is approaching uh, the space where Baby Yoda is, um, and <laughs> we don't have a name yet. Okay, that's what I'm going to call him. <laughs> um, and he's like. The camera, it's like we're creeping up with the Mandalorian, but the Mandalorian comes in from like the top left side of the frame. We don't like come over the Mandalorian's shoulder and the Mandalorian doesn't come like under the camera. He comes like in from the side, but we're also like really close to him. And we kind of stay like the camera stays like beside him rather than like taking in his point of view as we look over the cliff. And it felt it felt really unique to me. And I don't know if that's something that is kind of more prevalent in a Western or if that is something that's strictly like more Dave style, but it felt really unique to me and I, I liked it a lot. Did you have kind of a standout thing from this episode? You know, it's funny because I think that a couple of the gags felt very animated to me. First off, when the dro- when like the speeder rolled up with the droid, oh my god! I was like, this would totally happen in a Star Wars animated show, like for sure. Yeah, you're so right. And the the, and, like, the little flute, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so flute good. for passage was amazing. <laughs> I was like, this is the best. It was, I just I really appreciated those goofy elements. You know, like I, I think that that's what Star Wars is at its core—that it could be this action adventure, but also maintain that that sense of fun and like the flute for passage just so good (laughs) (laughs) i also think that a little bit of like the gag of like oh i have to go basically i have to go to the bathroom and that's how he was gonna escape the razor crest right yeah and i thought that also felt animated and like kind of it felt kind of young i was like wow we're going straight for like bathroom humor already but I thought the way that like he was like creeping around the bottom of the razor crest and then all of a sudden the Mandalorian is right behind him. For some reason that felt very Dave to me. And maybe I've just seen a lot of Clone Wars that have that like spooky element to it mm-hmm. that it just felt right. Yeah, I don't know. I think that there's so many elements that I loved about the Mandalorian. First, let's start and talk about the music, which I think is just so unique and so good. And I've been listening to it all day on Spotify. What do you think about it? That's saying a lot because Charlotte doesn't actually use Spotify. <laughs> she uses Apple. It's also on Apple Music. Oh, it is. I don't know why I said Spotify. It's so I, interesting. I, I, they've been they've been advertising it on Spotify, so I listened to it first on Spotify, and then That's it was so just funny. there. But I know it's on Apple Music. I was uh, one of the last things I'm going to say about Dave for like the time being is <laughs> that um, one thing that is great is that since Dave has been so immersed in like. Star Wars creation for so long is that he doesn't feel the need to do these kind of throwaway Easter eggs. Like Mm -hmm. when the opening shot, when he like kills all those people, I was like, oh my God, please don't say sorry about the mess. Please don't say sorry about the mess. Please don't say sorry about the mess. (laughs) And he didn't. I was like, Dave, you did me right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because like we, I thought that was good. (laughs) Yeah. I was. Just very glad. Um, but I also, you know, something that I really appreciate about that scene, too, that maybe is controversial is I'm really glad that we didn't see the shot of, like, the legs separating from the body. I mean, we kind of, we basically did. We saw the, we didn't, like, actually see the whole thing, though. Yeah. And I am, I'm very happy we didn't because I think that if I saw that in the first shot of the TV show, I would have been like, whoa, I'm in for something, like, that I... I don't know. I I I just I I feel good that they didn't fully show it. Yeah, yeah. It was a choice. 
It, it really was a choice. I and mean, I think that like in the first 10 minutes of their show, their debut show on Disney Plus, A Family Network, I think that they were like, well, we have to scale this back because... Just a smidge. Yeah, just a smidge. <laughs> I mean, this is this is Dave Filoni we're talking about. Like, <laughs> he, I'm sure... W- let's wait till we get to the mid-season finale or the, the mid-whatever they're going to call it that he is also directing. And let's see what kind of... If there's anything kind of graphic there. Because... We know that there's some graphicness in the Clone Wars. <laughs> I don't mind all the graphics. I, I don't mind that. Yeah. I just, I think that like in the first like six minutes, we I didn't need to see that. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I respect that. It'd be interesting to compare. <laughs> yeah. Also, not just the music, but like that new intro of the helmets that Lucasfilm has that like is kind of the Star Wars tag that I assume they're going to be using on like their new programming. I was, I loved it. It was so shiny. I was like, wow, <laughs> this looks so good. I got goosebumps. It did look really good. I was really surprised uh, when they started playing. Kylo's in there too. And I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. And like in BB-8, it was, it was really good. Mm-hmm. It was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, the music though, amazing. That was something that we came away from the panel at Celebration in April talking about. And we were both so frustrated because the trailers that did come out for the general public didn't have that music in it. And we were like, yeah. where's that music? Because it was so <laughs> cool. And this definitely delivered. I thought the the opening sequence of the bar, that's the music that stands out the most to me. Um, and then at the near the end, there is a a part that really stands out to me too. But the in the beginning, that – I don't even know how to describe it, but it sounds so amazing. And then, of course, like Flute for Passage is great. <laughs> well, it's just it feels very Western, like the spurs of your boots. Yeah. It, it just it feels so right. It does. It really does. And so different. And it just like completely sets it apart. And I don't know. I'm just I'm so refreshed by that, mm-hmm. that it wasn't like another John Williams-esque score or anything like that. I'm just happy that we're experimenting and trying all these different new things. Yeah, I saw some review today that was like, where was the John Williams score? And it's like, oh my God. What do you mean? (laughs) Like, that was. John Williams' score is great. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Amazing. But it's. It's different, Liter- guys. Literally, it's just different. It's iconic, you know, like Yeah. <laughs> but this was so good and John Williams score would not have fit into it. Um so what was great is I liked the it because it has this it's like you almost can't describe the tone of the music. Is it foreboding? Is it dangerous? Is it like somewhere Just like the Mandalorian himself. Exactly. Thank you. That's like what I was going for, obviously. <laughs> um, but what I did enjoy was that when he gets that Beskar, right? Beskar? Um, yep. Like side plate on his shoulder, shoulder guard thing, we get kind of this swell of almost a heroic, triumphant, major key kind of thing right. going on. And it's just that little moment there. But it made me curious of what's to come for the music and that it and that it can go in that kind of a little bit more orchestral and it still fit the tone of the rest of the music that we'd seen throughout the episode. Yeah. Speaking of the environment, like the music and everything kind of speaking to who the Mandalorian is as a character, I have to say I thought it was a really interesting choice that we started off in an ice planet and like icy snow. And kind of warmed up into this desert. And it felt like that's exactly what we were doing with Mandalorian himself. We don't know who he is. We're like, I think as an audience, we're a little guarded about like, 
I think that you and I are like, oh, we're going to love him. He's our protagonist. But I think that, <laughs> I think he's a masked guy. We have no idea who he is. And we don't know his intentions. And we don't know if he's a villain or a good guy or anything like that because he's a bounty hunter. That's their whole purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think we start off in this icy environment where we're totally iced over. We have no idea who this guy is behind the mask. And by the end of it, we still don't know who this guy is behind the mask, but we've warmed up to him and we've totally in in this desert environment kind of understand his true colors that he's not going to kill a baby, which is like <laughs> the most extreme thing ever. But I think that it, I I trust him. Right. Don't you? Yeah. The characterization of the Mandalorian is something that was really fascinating in this episode because you're right. It's like we don't know him, but then there are kind of these moments of levity, of sarcasm, of uh, generosity that Mm -hmm. kind of threw me off that I wasn't sure. I was like, are you supposed to be hardcore? Are you supposed to be heart of gold? What's the what's the deal here? Because we get like what's the archetype? Yeah. <laughs> Where can I fit you in? <laughs> um, it's true though. <laughs> listeners, don't ever come into our brains. <laughs> um, it's a mess. It's, it's a, a real it's mess a in there. Big mess. <laughs> because you know like when he um when I and like some of the things that were difficult for him I just found hilarious like writing the blurg of course was a great moment but the fact that he is immediately snuck up on by these giant creatures and is just immediately taken down <laughs> I was like, come on, you can put up a, a little bit better of a fight than that. Don't you think that it's it's funny that that was an instance of if we had a force user, they'd sense that coming. And here we have mm. him, not a force user, being completely thrown by surprise. Yeah, but he saw like, in he that was, element. Look through the that, Well, he saw it from far away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to defend him. He didn't know. <laughs> they don't seem like quiet creatures, but okay. <laughs> but he's just kind of sitting there. I did love what I thought was so funny. When I was younger, one of my, I had this like probably eight month period where I was very obsessed with sharks. <laughs> And I wanted to learn mm-hmm. everything about sharks. And the way that you get rid of a shark, if you are ever attacked by a shark, is to punch it in the eye. And that's what the Mandalorian did with the Blurg. His one defense was to punch it in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really funny. I was like, oh, well, like a shark. Their faces look like fish. They do. So it makes sense. They're definitely like amphibian-esque. Yeah. But <laughs> in that whole moment, like when he <laughs> when he's rescued by – what is his name? The guy who rescues him? Nick Nolte Ugna. Nick Nolte Ugna, yeah. <laughs> and and he's like, I've saved a bunch of you bounty hunters and they all die. And the Mandalorian's like, well, I don't really think I want your help then. <laughs> <laughs> but then when he, when they're like, when they actually get passage and he gets where he's supposed to go, he goes to give him payment and Nick Nolte Ugna goes, you know, no, I don't need that. He's like, no, you you deserve it. You, like, he's fair. Um, and he doesn't try to hide the fact that he's a bounty hunter and he has a little bit of sarcasm about him too, which you kind of expect. But then even, even the fact that he doesn't kill baby Yoda and not even that he doesn't kill baby Yoda, but the fact that he, that whole shot at the end where it's very compassionate and he reaches out with one finger to boop baby Yoda. 
I'm like, <laughs> I mean, let's just say it. It's hands are a language. It's hands are right? a freaking language. I mean, the last shot in this whole thing is hands are a language. Literally. Guys, if you're new to this podcast, <laughs> I feel like there are some people who this could be their first episode, which what an episode. The <laughs> a big thing in Dave's show. It was introduced in Rebels and Sabine Wren said it. Well, it was introduced. It was introduced in history. Okay. <laughs> in history. True. <laughs> in the world, it was introduced <laughs> that hands matter in art and literature and drama. Continue. Yeah. And so in a recent episode of Star Wars Rebels, towards the end, um, Wolves in a Door and uh, World Between Worlds, hands are super meaningful. So Caitlin and I did a whole episode, almost a meta, about why hands are important in Star Wars and what they signify. And of course, of course, the Mandalorian has a hand scene. Yeah. Because it's the most perfect distillation of humanity coming together. (sighs) Man, it so is. And okay, can we talk about our 70s? movie night yeah let's do it let's go for it so a while ago michelle deidre is that her last name i think that's her middle name but the social media coordinator or manager behind the star wars account yes so she recommended that if you're excited about the mandalorian you should watch the film lone wolf and the cub and honestly i don't know how she was able to recommend that (laughs) because (laughs) it seems like a super big spoiler to me but whatever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Lone Wolf and the Cub is this 32, I believe, part. I think it's just Lone Wolf and Cub. Okay, fine. Lone Wolf and Cub. And it's this 30, good God. It's this 32 <laughs> part manga from Japan from the 70s about this samurai who basically is betrayed by his clan and his family. And they his whole family gets killed except for his young son. And so he puts his son in a stroller and they he basically goes to seek revenge on all who have wronged him. And it got it was wildly popular in Japan, got turned into a series of movies that also came to the US and was also wildly popular. And uh, the whole thing is just this Japanese samurai and his like infant son <laughs> just going mm-hmm. around killing people. Yeah, and he ha- he has like a cool push push car where he puts the baby. Yeah. And what one of them is called um Lone Wolf Lone Wolf and Cub Cart to Hell. Yes. <laughs> <Something like> that. <laughs> and I remember we were laughing at Cart to Hell because we were like, What what does that mean? And then number one, it's actually a stroller. Number two, it's an army Swiss knife stroller it has so many bits and bobbles to it like the the places this guy has pulled knives out of the stroller and not harmed his child is great but that movie was so good and it definitely i can understand why there's that parallel still don't understand how she was able to recommend it (laughs) but it makes me what i'm actually most interested in at this point is if the Baby Yoda stroller is also going to be like an army Swiss knife. Like if the Mandalorian is going to retrofit the Baby Yoda stroller or carrier into a weapon. Yeah. I think it's crazy. It's a whole series. And Charles and I have watched the first one. And there were a lot of interesting things to pull from that film about clans and legacy and destiny. Honestly, like it's a really good movie. Um, you should definitely check it out if you're able to. 
It's on Criterion. Mm -hmm. All of them are on Criterion. Yeah. And I think we'll definitely be talking about it more in depth as we go on. But yeah, (laughs) I just have so many questions about everything in the last 20 minutes of this episode. So what do you think about that reveal? I feel like it's what what's everyone wants to talk about. I think I think after watching Lone Wolf and the Cub, we kind of had our suspicions, TBH. Yes, for sure. Was definitely not expecting a baby Yoda. <laughs> well, when that one trailer, I think it was the full trailer, they did in the like the flashback of young Mandalorian, I thought that maybe the young Mandalorian would be you know, the cub. Yeah. But really it was young Mandalorian. I have to assume through those flashbacks that he had. Mm-hmm. What did you were were you thrown by Baby Yoda? I was I wasn't thrown by the fact that it was a baby because of Lone Wolf and Cub, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. But I was thrown about the Yoda piece. And I just like, you know, stuff like this really just makes me sit back and think about, and I say this all the time on this show. I am still constantly surprised by Star Wars. I feel like I'm so knee-deep in Star Wars all the time, analyzing, thinking about it, taking in every piece of information, blah, 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 blah. But it's amazing to me how I am constantly still surprised. And I love that. I Like, your fave could never. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I just, I'm, I also feel super catered to after we did a whole series about Yoda. I was just like, <laughs> this is so perfect because it, we took you know, we took the time to appreciate Yoda. And now I don't think I would have felt as excited as I was about this if we hadn't done that. And that's just like a personal thing, obviously. But I I just feel like the, the Yoda creature, like there's so many questions. Obviously, George never answered that. And he was purposely never answering that. And Yaddle exists for some reason. And like, <laughs> is this somehow related to Yoda? I don't really think so. But I, I, I'm just like literally spinning with questions. Is this baby for sensitive the 50 year age thing is mind-boggling to me because 50 years puts him around the same age as anakin which blows my mind and uh our discord our patreon exclusive discord was like blowing up about this today about how is like could this potentially be like another virgins of the force like darkness rises and light to meet it type situation um, what is happening here? Do we really do we think this is this baby is related to Yoda? I, again, I don't think so. But like, that's a question, obviously. And I just didn't expect it to be a creature. And it's also it also feels super Dave Filoni, by the way, in our conversations about things that are Dave Filoni. Where was the first time we saw Dave Filoni? <laughs> the Clone Wars animated movie that came out in 2008. Like, let's be honest, what was that about rescuing a baby? And it's oh insane God. because... <laughs> right. I'm thinking of, like, the Yoda arc, which is the first chronological episode. Oh, my God, Caitlin, no. Rota, stinky. stinky. Hello. It's no. almost the same carrier. <laughs> it's the same. Who's the right man for this job? Dave Filoni. What did he do? Introduce the baby to the Clone Wars. <laughs> To our like main protagonist, what does it do? It tests them, and that's exactly what we get in the movie. Like it's so good. I can't. It's the perfect fodder for a story. Baby Yoda is the new stinky. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he slash she slash they are. Is is the baby going to get sick and cause a problem? 
This is funny because this, I hope this reminds me of our solo discussion with Dath- the Dathomir reveal. And we're like, wow, can't wait. The people's first introduction to animation is going to be Dathomir if they haven't dived in yet. And now perhaps <laughs> people's first introduction will be the Clone Wars movie with Baby Stinky. <laughs> Which like it's not it's not that bad. Again, Caitlin and I rewatched it recently, and we were both like, you know, it's not that bad, right? Like we both thought that. I think the first half is super strong. I actually don't like. I, yeah, you. Should, I mean, every Star Wars fan should watch it. Yeah, absolutely. For yeah, sure. it's I, definitely required watching. It, de- it has but, some amazing moments in it, but it is the very first thing that came out from Clone Wars. So you know, just keep that in mind. Yeah. Anyway, I just think that it's really fascinating that like that's the inclusion of Dave Filoni and it is super Dave. It just it is. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy, too, because the my galaxy brain connection immediately went to Clone Wars as well. But to the season two opener, Holocron Heist, which is when Cad Bane uh, is ordered by Palpatine to steal a holocron from the Jedi Temple that has a list of names of all the Force-sensitive babies in the galaxy. And I'm like, yep. is Baby Yoda on this list? Because he would have been alive. So is he on this list? The thing – okay, here's the question. Do you want Baby Yoda to be Force-sensitive or to not be Force-sensitive? Yeah, I, I think it would be cool if he was forced. I think so too. I think it'd be such a cool twist that only Star Wars can do. And it that is, I mean, aside from the baby and aside from it being a baby Yoda, that is, <laughs> that is what I think is so cool about the possibility of it. And you're right, feels so Dave because Dave is always kind of meddling in the Force. I don't meddling sounds negative, but playing around with the Force. No, it's true. Yeah, and it's true. like kind of. Just dipping his toes in in whatever area he wants to and then promptly leaving and leaving you with a bunch of questions. So There's so many questions. The first thing that I thought about is it's interesting because if you retrace it, you have the Werner Herzog character who wears the like an Empire Imperial medallion. So, yes, the Empire has fallen in this time period, but there has to be still Imperial sympathizers and people working for the Empire, etc., and there's a doctor on scene during that whole conversation. Like the second time I watched it, I was like, okay, what is going on here? You know, and there's the stormtroopers that look so old and like dusty. Yeah, and their armor has isn't up to code. And it's all these things, right? And they're asking for this one asset. And there's I, I just like I can't get over the fact that the doctor's there. It feels important, you know? Yeah. And so the first time I saw it was, okay, so this this baby Yoda is 50 years old and my brain is always okay so right now we're entering the rise of Skywalker where Palpatine's coming back and the question of Palpatine survival is just always in my brain because during this point the contingency plan should be started and should be rolling with everything that Palpatine had set after his death or removal or the fall of the empire just to make sure that it continues like that's basically the actual gist of the contingency plan right um and here we have them after a baby and if we go by your theory about it being maybe force sensitive children something that cad bane got i just think that even the the slow aging of yoda the yoda creature is an interesting concept given the fact that palpatine wants to regain life and what can be extracted from these extremely rare creatures who age super slowly. 
I just feel like it's important because they mentioned it in a couple different, you know, points. Like, it's 50 years old. Oh, I thought he was 50. You know, all these things Mm -hmm. where it just, it leaves me with questions and like, why a doctor? Sure. Like, if it's a baby, then, but why do they want it alive? You know? So... I don't, it's so many questions, so many theories, and I don't, I am like so intrigued. That's what I'm interested in because the IG-11 said he could bring him back dead, but the doctor and Werner Herzog's character said that it could be dead or alive. And clearly the doctor wants Baby Yoda alive, which you're right with like the whole aging thing and because of how rare the species is, does it, if they're studying it for age purposes... They pro and it's okay if Baby Yoda is dead. Then they probably don't know that Baby Yoda is force sensitive, because right. they would. I feel like if they knew, like if every species of Yoda was automatically force sensitive, which I guess that's kind of silly to assume that because that's not true of any other species, not human, like none that we have seen. <sighs> It's just so perplexing. So I wonder if the creature, the species, is actually force sensitive. No one knows it, but then we get this great, these great moments in the Razor Crest <laughs> of Baby Yoda just <laughs> floating stuff around. <laughs> My brain immediately went to Baby Jack Jack in yes, in the Incredibles. The Incredibles, yeah. Like how incredible would that be? How incredible if it would be pretty incredible. Wink. <laughs> I think that, well, like imagine how I think it would be funny because you mentioned in Lone Wolf and Cub how the stroller essentially is like a Swiss Army knife and it couldn't like pop all, all these different things like a bomb or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And I think that the little like bassinet, whatever that the the baby Yoda is in, doesn't look like it has like a lot of stuff. There was three buttons on there. I thought it was funny that you know he knew exactly what button to press to open it. Yeah. Um, I thought there would be a little bit more struggle there. I know. Whatever. They get in. There's <laughs> one guy in there. And then the carrier yeah. is just off. That was my question I'm, I'm asking. Is the carrier has, – has Baby Yoda just been inside this bassinet for 50 years? Does he ever get out? Has that been like a carbonate right. kind of situation? <laughs> Who's right. caring and like for also, him? <laughs> where are they in this encampment? encampment? Like what? Yeah. It was so confusing. And I think that we'll find out why they were there. But – why are people the, the main main question really is why are these people after him but i think that i think that because i don't think the bassinet looks like it's like equipped with a lot of stuff yeah maybe the power of the baby yoda maybe could be the force baby yoda is the army swiss knife himself yeah i'm just really confused how you keep saying army swiss knife it's swiss army knife <laughs> I don't know either. It's like so confusing <laughs> you know it's like a pocket knife <laughs> adjective adjective noun <laughs> It's just there's a lot going on. <laughs> so much going on. <laughs> I've been up since five thirty. Okay. I know, same. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I had to go to work today. So Baby Yoda is kind of crazy. Who is taking care of they? Who? Again, there's only one guy in there when they get in there, and clearly they know how valuable what they have is because they protected it like crazy. They protect. Were they protecting it for themselves or to get paid by someone else? That's a question. Who, who is, who is the one paying these people there to protect Baby Yoda, or right. are they doing it themselves? Did Baby Yoda come from there? Like he very well could have come from there. Yeah, 
I, there's just so much we don't know. And I feel like we're going to continue to not know because, especially because the Mandalorian has killed everyone there. <laughs> yeah. So no one can tell us unless there's someone else hiding within the encampment who will join them or tell them. Also, does Nick Nolte Ugnaught know that Baby Yoda is there? I don't know. I don't know if he just knows that people just keep passing through and not surviving and trying to get what they need. And no one knows what they need because there's no like hollow of. Yeah, what's going on? Are we going to get to see the Mandalorian teach Baby Yoda how to walk? Oh, my God. It would just be so cute. (laughs) The Mandalorian is so soft. I just love him. I I was like, wow, I'm attracted to this. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's so funny. Helmet's not off, and I still still feel it. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Okay, I – let's talk about the guilds. Yeah, that's that was that was going to be my transition. Let's talk about the guilds and the Mandalorians. Okay. So, it's super cool first off that like there's a couple of things going on here that I think is really cool that like kind of leans back into what I was saying before about the original concept of the Underworld TV show of this idea of all these different groups kind of uh, starving for a buck or you know, and all these things underground, like even the the Mandalorian guild where they went in, where he went in to get his armor forged, reminded me a lot of uh, Solo and where Han and Kira lived on Corellia. Just like the way that it was designed, I just I wouldn't be surprised if some concept art was kind of borrowed from there, especially because these were kind of uh, produced at the same time. I just I really like this concept of all these different groups. It's one of my favorite things about even about resistance too. I like all these different people like wanting the same thing but kind of fighting for it, you know? Mm-hmm. But I'm still really confused about the Bounty Guild. Like did first off did uh I are IG eleven and the Mandalorian in the same bounty guild? Is there really no companionship there? And like, does it just not even matter? You're just like kind of a member and you get assigned things. I don't know. What do you think, Caitlin? I'm very confused by the guild. I'm very confused by the Mandalorians. Very confused about a lot of it, to be honest. I, yeah, I thought that because Carl Weathers, this whole conversation about the Mandalorians in the episode, definitely a question I'm always asking is how do people know what they know in the galaxy? Like how does information get transmitted, especially in times of war? And for me, I always reference the example of Finn and Rey in The Force Awakens and what they know about Han Solo is very different. And the legends that Rey has heard of Luke Skywalker is very different from what other people know about him. And But people all kind of talk about the Mandalorians in the same way. And they're very very elusive. They're almost like Baby Yoda himself, the like the Yoda species. Very rare because Nick Nolte Ugna, you know, is like I've never heard of a Mandal. I've never met a Mandalorian before, but I've I've read the stories. But then we have this whole Mandalorian workshop blacksmith underneath. Uh, or in this one setting where he gets the the job after he meets with Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers isn't a Mandalorian, but they are in the same guild, and IG-11 is in a guild. But then the Mandalorian talks to the blacksmith Mandalorian about, like, foundlings and using the Beskar card and how that will sponsor new foundlings. And there's just a lot of pieces where I'm not sure – like, what is the Venn diagram of guilds and Mandalorians? <laughs> Is it a circle? <laughs> I don't think – I don't even think it crosses. Yeah, that's, I think, that's confusing. I think the concept of a foundling is interesting. The first time I heard it, I didn't know what – I didn't, like, know if I could attribute any meaning to that. 
But now I think it means orphan. And I think it means an orphan that was like grouped to be a Mandalorian. Like foundling kind of just reminds me of like someone found, Mm -hmm. you know, and and built up to join this sort of society that I think was shrinking, if I remember correctly, in Rebels time period. Am I right about that? After the Great Wars? I think so. I think they were kind of ravaged by civil wars and then the Empire as well. Yeah, so like to me, it would make sense that, you know, in order to preserve the customs and the cultural like traditions that they would adopt sort of orphans to grow up in a Mandalorian tradition. That and makes a lot of sense. Sorry to interrupt. That makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense because how the Mandalorians are presented and we see them a lot throughout the Clone Wars and Rebels is they're all part of clans. And yeah. you kind of wonder why they wouldn't reference each other by clan in Yes. So the fact, like, yes. I think you're found like, like houses. Yeah, houses. Yeah, House of Ren. Um, I think that your orphan thing makes a lot of sense. And that also falls in line with what we see. I was kind of reminded, you know, wondering, my question was also like, why did the Mandalorian decide to save baby Yoda? And it kind of made me wonder if the foundlings were kind of brought in to the guilds or into this training, whatever it looks like, very much how children, force-sensitive children are brought into the Jedi Temple. Like, they don't really get a choice mm. in it. It's just kind of where they end up. Um, and if maybe he felt some kind of link there, some compassion, because he understood what it was like to be alone. Right. And I think that that is definitely going to be a theme, as it is a theme in all of Star Wars. And I feel like It's just interesting because from his flashback, you see that obviously his town, wherever he was from, was kind of ravaged by war. And what I can glean from it, I think that he was, as a kid, there's that shot of him like attached to his parents, I suppose, and then kind of stuck in a ditch. It's very Jin Mm -hmm. Erso-esque. And then like, again, hands our language reaching up for some help. Again, I think that kind of signifies like a foundling who was found. And he was wearing... And this was speculated a lot, like a ton on Twitter before when that shot was revealed in the trailer. But he's wearing almost like ceremonial robes. And I don't think, I think to me, that is just different than a Mandalorian tradition. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like he was, gro- he, he, he was found in a ditch and was forced, forced isn't the right word, but brought like in. brought in to the Mandalorian customs and traditions. And when the Beskar steel or iron will be used to fund like the foundlings, I think that that is a swell of pride of that's good. You know, those kids need it. Something like that, you know? Yeah, because he said, you know, I was once a foundling. So it means because when I first heard it, I thought that it was a stage in the guild because you look at medieval guilds and number one, I love how we have guilds. It's just – it's so fantasy. Yeah. It's so renaissance, <laughs> medieval. Uh-huh. Um, but you look at guilds and their their levels are journeyman, master, and apprentice, some configuration of that. And so at first I thought that foundling could be a version of apprentice or journeyman or master, you know, like a level that they're in within the guild. But then the way he says that, you know, I was once a foundling indicates that not everyone was a foundling in the guild. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> so I think your your orphanage, 
makes sense, which again, if we're just making it like even softer, you know, their, their so money soft. is going back into an orphanage. <laughs> I mean, don't just, I love the parallel though that we're drawing right now between Han Solo, Kira, Jin, all these people who are, you know, found and forced, forced again, again, using that word forced, but brought up in these different groups because of some sort of tragic event that happened to them. It's so fantasy, it's so fairy tale, but it really does kind of connect with the fact that it's just feels Star Warsy. Yeah, you know? and, and so much of our stories are about finding where you belong and finding your family, whether it's your blood family or your found family. I mean all Star Wars stories and so many classic stories and just regular stories are about that too. So it's something that's very recognizable, even though we're in kind of an unrecognizable place. Um, the Star Wars is, has that Star Wars feeling. And I think that Mandalorian does, and it plays with that Star Wars feeling really well, I think. Um, so again, it's like, are the Mandalorians still in clans? One of the things I thought was really fascinating is how the Nick Nolte Ugnaught tells the Mandalorian at the end, you know, when he says, I've never met another, another Mandalorian, but I've read stories. And if what they say are true, you'll help, like you'll be a part, you'll make quick work of this and peace will come again, which I thought was really interesting because what we know of the Mandalorian culture and history is a very mixed bag. <laughs> we have, mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of different clans from the Mandal from Mandalore and a lot of different we've seen really extreme personalities. We had a character like Satine who was all about peace. And then we had a character um like Previsla who was voiced by John Favreau who was anything but peace. <laughs> and you so, have the pacifist and death watch yeah. on two ends of the spectrum. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. And we've seen everything <laughs> in between. And so it's really interesting that when Nicknoldi Agnaut says you'll make quick work of it and peace will come again what stories about Mandalore is he reading? Is he reading about Death Watch Mandalore? Is he reading about Satine's Mandalore? What Mandalore does he, what kind of Mandalorian does he think is coming? Makes me think of, I need to revisit that Forces of Destiny about the statue. Remember that one? So good. <sighs> they also talk about Hansar language in that one and that art has meaning. Yeah. yeah wow. So amazing. So good. Great episode. <laughs> I think that in this line of talking about tradition, I thought the Werner Herzog character said something really interesting. Um, when the Mandalorian was leaving, he says, It's good to restore the natural order of things after a period of such disarray. Don't you agree? And he's referring to giving the Beskar iron slash steel back to a Mandalorian. And I just think it's just one of those like fantastic examples of the empire using cultural artifacts and things with cultural significance against our hero, essentially the other side in order to lure them in. And it is so, uh, it's so prevalent throughout so much of honestly, Dave Filoni's work. We see it a lot in animation from particularly with Thrawn, you know, Mm -hmm. with like Calicori and um, like dangling certain artifacts in front of Hera. He takes the beat artwork as well exactly and even takes sabine in order to understand things to use her knowledge against her for the empire's gain Mm -hmm. and i think that this is just another example of that and I, i i was pleased to see it because this constant um muddling it's it's just to me it's a mixed message because i think that you can hear that and be like yes it is very good to like keep 
culturally, culturally significant artifacts with those who they belong to. But in this particular instance, the villain is dangling in front of our, I guess, our hero slash antihero. And we're supposed to not trust that. It's it's very interesting because I feel like Mandalore itself probably at that time, and we saw a little bit of this in Rebels, that they kind of splinter off. So I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like a lot of Mandalorians were probably hired by the Empire to do work for the Empire. And then you have Mandalorians like Sabine who are very against that. And the, the Mandalorian blacksmith, when the Mandalorian hands over, we got to get these people names. <laughs> when the blacksmith takes the best car, she says that it was lost in the Great Purge, and it's good that it's back with the Order. Again, Order, not Guild, not Clan either. And then she also asked the Mandalorian if his signet has been revealed yet. And these are all just really interesting pieces of this whole history of how these these things like valuable cultural artifacts or just traditional artifacts and materials that are within certain places and certain cultures are traded around and used like currency and how something rare like a Mandalorian itself and therefore the best car is important enough that it becomes a really good selling point for the Mandalorian to accept yeah. the job. And that, like you said, that speaks to itself. And you're right. Werner Herzog's kind of dangling it in front of him. Like, I know you, like, I know you won't say no to this. Because how could you? Yeah. Also, what was the great perch? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? We might even know that already. And I'm just not familiar with it. Yeah, true. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's worth mentioning that we're, we're not unfamiliar with the best car, steel slash iron. I just can't remember if it's steel or iron or if it's just the same thing, whatever. Because that was what Sabine Wren in Rebels used to create the arc pulse generator, which was the weapon that she was so ashamed of that she made in the Imperial Academy that she ran away from because she was so ashamed of it. It was basically a mini Death Star. And... um the Empire then used it against their people of Mandalore, and she was just, like, so ashamed by her smarts and her ability to design such a cruel weapon. And um, I don't know. I just I, – I like that things like this – It's you know, it's similar to me for, like, Kyber coming back into the story mm-hmm. um, and be, gaining such, like, a significance. I think that Beskar also coming back into the conversation is really interesting and – I also think that I wonder if we'll see the dark saber. Um, it just feels like we might. I mean, given with the baby all Yoda, this conversation, literally, you just never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> for sure. I think it'd be. I really hope that the baby is force sensitive. If you guys again, new listeners, Charlotte and I's favorite thing about Star Wars is when the force gets weird. So to be able to really have this intersection of crazy force stuff with a rough and tumble street smart Mandalorian would just be really fun. (laughs) About two months ago, I ran a poll on Twitter that got like 500 votes about whether or not something in the Mandalorian would have direct ties, like really direct ties to story implications in the Rise of Skywalker. And it was a yes or no. And it was like 90% no. And I just, I was shocked because I'm in that 10% of yes, where I do think that something big is going to happen. 
that will inform our reading of The Rise of Skywalker and our understanding of how the First Order and the Empire are able to rise. And that is something that Jon Favreau has said in interviews that the show will cover. So I do think that it will have major story implications. And like I think that even more now with a character like this baby Yoda, because if it's true that this is a Force-sensitive character who was born around the same time as Anakin, the idea that there are now two versions in the Force that like are potentially being preyed upon, like Anakin was one and now we have baby Yoda as well, 50-year-old baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. And I I just I really like that concept and it really just plays into this idea of balance that is constantly being getting at Star Wars, especially in the time of now with the sequel trilogy and everything. It just feels right. It feels so like just like with I don't know just everything is just like lining up to me of like this feels so Star Wars I cannot wait to see this baby in action (laughs) how is it gonna I don't know if we're gonna see a baby in action (laughs) I just be moving around doing stuff making noises do you think he's cute yeah I do so Yoda cuteness factor is back. <laughs> cuteness factor is back. Who knew? Not I. <laughs> Literally, who knew, Caitlin? <laughs> who knew? <laughs> this is a 10 out of 10 in the cuteness oh, factor zone. Yeah. I mean, Baby Yoda has got to take the cake on the cuteness factor. In our Yoda series, uh, if you haven't listened to it, we went through the developmental history of Yoda and also all of the different like versions of Yoda, be it CGI, puppet, animated, different styles of animation, et cetera, et cetera. And we asked listeners to rank their cutest Yoda. And at the time, I had said that I liked Rebels Yoda design best because I liked how his head kind of looked like a watermelon. And a lot of you listeners picked Smooth Yoda, which not great. <laughs> had to see so much Smooth Yoda this past summer, and I did not want to. <laughs> but I think we all have to agree Baby Yoda definitely takes the cake. What is his name going to be? Is it going to be know. a Y? Can we guess? Well, it could be because there's Yaddle and there's Yoda. I know, but that just sounds like a George thing. You know, are we going to continue this George thing? But George is on clearly on set like every day. I know, I know. And also, George is the keeper of the Yoda information. You can't forget that. Is George the He's keeper the or did he just never put pen to paper and <laughs> do it? He's the keeper. I feel like no one is allowed to touch the yoda mythology except for dave from his guidance from from george like the yoda arc came directly from george right and i think that any sort of exploration about this like this is like the number one question that people have had about yoda it's not my number one question in star wars (laughs) but it is super interesting to me like will we ever know yoda species and it's always like no it's almost like the whole like will we ever know obi-wan's home planet where he's from whatever and it's these these two questions like I really could couldn't care less about, to be honest, as a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. But they do come up all the time. And here we have another Yoda-esque figure. And I feel like we're gonna get some answers. And that's so crazy. It's almost like Star Wars of late is just like mining for ways that we can explore these things that like fans just have have talked about like so often. But haven't really put their pen to paper about what it could mean or like what they could do. Like, I think the Darth Maul reveal at the end of Solo is like the best example of that. Of like, oh yeah, that could be Darth Maul. Why not? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it's also like, yeah, we should have a baby character. It'll like soften 
are they'll, they'll play off nicely. It's like the three men and the baby situation. Mm-hmm. That's like just like a classic trope of your, you know, your stone cold hero needs to some softening. Introduce a child. Like introduce it's really it, a, child. a child. It is <laughs> a trope, you know, and. I think that like I just want to be in that meeting that story group meeting it was like what if it was a Yoda baby <laughs> I feel like I I 100% feel like Dave was like let's make it a Yoda baby like I've got these notes from George we talked about some things once a long time ago at an undisclosed probably. meeting and John That's was like true. a Yoda baby and Dave was like yeah why not <laughs> like, what if oh. it was John's idea because John was John was the one that came up with Remember the whole like Christmas story about like John wrote the screenplay and like sent it to Dave on Christmas and Dave was like, it's Christmas, <laughs> you know, and and John was like, no, but please read it. Like, what do you think of it? Like pinging him every five seconds. And Dave was like, oh, no, this is great. This is, you know, that's so awesome. So <laughs> I feel like Lone Wolf, like I feel like John was like, I'm going to make this a Lone Wolf and, and Cub story. Yeah. Or very heavily inspired yeah. like that, that structure. But right. I feel like. What I know of John Favreau and his feelings about Star Wars, I don't know. I just like going for a Western just feels very practical. So for him, I very well could be wrong. But for me, I'm like, do I see John Favreau being like, let's make it a Force baby? And more than that, a Yoda baby. <laughs> I just feel like that feels like a wild card straight from Dave Filoni's hat. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. But, you know, I could be wrong. The cast is supposed to be doing interviews and cast and creators are supposed to be doing interviews later on this week. So maybe we'll find out more. And we'll, we might I, learn a lot more in the next episode. Exactly. It's only Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine, I swear to God, if Baby Yoda is somewhere on that World Between Worlds drawing that is always blurred out, I'll die. <laughs> wow. I didn't even consider that. Like... I always consider the blurred out world between worlds drawing. So true. You have <laughs> All the to. Time. You have to. <laughs> but yeah, that feels very Dave to make it Yoda, baby Yoda. What if its name is Yanny? <laughs> and we have to spend a whole season of do you hear Yanny or do you hear Laurel? <laughs> Honestly, Yanny's kind of a cute name. I like it. It works. <laughs> <laughs> it works because I remember during that whole like, is it Yanny? Is it Laurel? It's a meme, guys. If you don't know what we're talking about, I, I do not know. <laughs> I know it's like is the blood. What color is the dress? It's the same Your situation. <laughs> the and everyone was like, whose name is even Yanny? Like who hears Yanny? <laughs> I'm sorry if your name is Yanny, but it's not a popular name. Like, I don't hear that that often. But here is Yoda named Yanny. What What if Yanny versus Laurel was a long form? Wow, a marketing pitch. (laughs) Brilliant social marketing (laughs) to be studied. (laughs) I was like, do you hear Yanny? Do you hear Laurel? And what Laurel, should we name I mean, Baby Yoda? And, and when you hear Laurel, that's when the world between worlds opens. <laughs> I hate this so much. <laughs> what if Baby Yoda, what if Baby Yanny is like a Pokemon and they only say Yanny, Yanny, Yanny? <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't want that. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I just I kind of hope he's not annoying, to be honest. He's not going to be He's not going to be annoying. I just I think he has learned from Pinky. <laughs> okay. I know. It'll be better. 
so true. I've seen a lot of people um, comparing the design of Baby Yoda to the uh, Dark Crystal uh, prequel. Uh, I don't know why I'm having such problems saying this. The Dark Crystal prequel, uh, Age of Resistance, that came out a couple months ago on Netflix. They look really similar, their eyes especially. It was interesting. Mm. I think that it's pretty clear that that Baby Yoda is a puppet to me, like a practical effect. Um, And same with, obviously, Dark Crystal is like all puppets, puppet everything. So just interesting that like maybe these are, you know, in in the world of puppeteering, these kind of developmental like uh, artistry is kind of being exchanged. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to see a lot more of of Baby Yoda slash Annie. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about in The Mandalorian? This, I mean, this episode was just so freaking good, but it went by so fast. It did. I'm really looking forward to Friday. I think it's going to be excellent. I can't wait to see what happens next. We still get to look forward to Cara Dune as well. There's a lot coming down the line, and this is just the beginning. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm, You know, I'm really encouraged even by – I have to mention it, but in – a lot of interviews that John and Dave did together, John Favreau was really admiring George Lucas and his um, ability to follow the sort of Joseph Campbell hero's journey and how he has learned so much from Joseph Campbell. And I'm like, I'm really excited to see that further explored in The Mandalorian. I think mm-hmm. that I saw some elements in this, but like I needed it to be expressed a little bit more. And like, I mean, I don't need that. I just think it's I, I just think it's fun to study. It's fun to study mythology. And it's fun to kind of follow in that tradition of Star Wars. I was watching the Empire of Dreams um, documentary, which I haven't seen in years. Like, I don't I don't remember the last time I saw that, Keelan. It must have been with you. I, I really think me. so. Yeah. <laughs> in which it had to be like over like eight years ago, right? Back oh, yeah. when there wasn't any other movies because that was what we would watch after our marathons because there was only six movies. Like, can you believe that? <laughs> there are only, only six, six movies. Yeah. The original and, six. And there's a whole conversation about George Lucas' involvement with Joseph Campbell. And it's just a reminder to me that the story really is so crafted to help you think about myth and past stories and um, just like the psychological understanding of who you are going to become as an individual. And I think that the Mandalorian will do that too from a different way, especially as we explore a character who is so masked. And that also is just something that's so intriguing, especially as we think about characters like Kylo Ren. Can't go an episode without mentioning Kylo, guys, obviously, because Kylo was a character who did so much mask acting. Like mask acting is so difficult and it's, it's amazing what an actor can convey behind the mask. Like, it's really like, it's actually crazy. D- don't you yeah, agree? It really is. Like, we watched a whole 40 minute episode. And yes, I want him to take off the mask because I think Pedro Pascal is like really cute and super attractive and I want to see his face. But like, <laughs> and I want to see him acting too because I loved him in Game of Thrones. He's got to brush his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, how's he, he went to that bar. Like, how's he going to get a drink? How's his dental hygiene? God. <laughs> Anyway, I think that it's just interesting, though, to watch Star Wars explore mask acting. It's a thing that they've done since Darth Vader. We have Kylo Ren. And, you know, we have Adam Driver talk about how much he hated the mask and everything. But I think on a certain level, it was a challenge for him, like an interesting artistic challenge to understand how to act with the mask on. And 
um, convey so much emotion. I mean, you think about how The Force Awakens, you know, he has the mask on for like three fourths of the movie and we get a pretty clear understanding of who the character, you know, is supposed to be conveying. And I feel like in 40 minutes, I have a like a, a grasp and understanding, I guess, for who the Mandalorian is going to I don't know, like who we're going to see. Like, obviously, I don't have a full understanding of him as a character. Obviously, it's the first episode. <laughs> but like, I I don't think I missed him, his mask being off because I think Pedro Pascal is probably welcome to the challenge of mask acting. And mm-hmm. all this to say, I just think it's an interesting concept as we start a series with a masked actor. What are we going to see when he takes off the mask? Like that is definitely like a a shell, like a deshelling almost of his character and like truly distilling who he is. I feel like we're going to see that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if the moment that we get the mask off, if it's a really mundane moment and just the necessity of what's going on, like, you know, something as simple as he needs to brush his teeth or if it is a really emotional intense heavy moment because i can honestly see it going either way like in the end it doesn't matter he's still the same person under the mask like he's still the same like uh bravado until we Mm -hmm. start to get to know him more and more like it very well happen in the next episode um or if it is going to be something that is built up to and we continually hear people like take off your mask take off your mask you know um or if it does go that kind of way yeah it's just interesting because I think about everything that we've seen in Star Wars. The removal of the mask is always so important from Kylo Ren to Darth Vader, mm-hmm. where it really is you see the the vulnerabilities, the emotional yeah. side and everything. And I think that it would be interesting if they kind of subver- subverted our expectations from like a Star Wars standpoint and we it did see it in such like a simple moment of like him just like combing through his hair or something, you know. <laughs> And or like looking in the mirror, which could be powerful in itself. But I, I I don't know. I think it would just be really interesting to watch the space and see how they're going to do it. Because from the surface, it seems like when he does take off his mask, it's going to be this huge epic moment because yeah. that's how we know Star Wars. But I think you do have a good point that maybe they won't do that at all. What I think would be cool, because you're right, like the the mask is such an important part of the character and in Star Wars too, but to kind of flip it on its head, if the unmasking was something really simple, not a heavy moment, but if in future flash, flashbacks, we see the moment that he is masked with that mask for the first time, a la Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, because that moment when he gets the Vader helmet is sublime um it's one of the best moments in star wars and so if maybe they could parallel on that kind of masked moment rather than kylo and vader because with kylo and vader i feel like from the outset they're villains and so the unmasking humanizes them Mm -hmm. and i I don't know if it would have that same kind of impact with the Mandalorian because to me he already feels a lot more human than our first introductions to vader or kylo ever did Right. So I don't know. It could be cool to see them kind of flip that and change it a little bit because – and almost what I mentioned at the beginning of the show, like how when he got that Beskar shoulder guard or whatever it's called, that the music is very triumphant. Um, so having that armor is a source of pride, whereas with Vader and Kylo, it's a source of – it's a, a symbol of imprisonment. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't – at least as of now, it doesn't – feel like the Mandalorian views it that way it's right. not something that hinders him it's something that in a way gives him more freedom so yeah, I wonder he's if, proud of 
Yeah, and wanting to add more of. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if maybe seeing the moment he gets that armor, that mask for the first time, if that could be more meaningful than seeing him take it off for the first time. Interesting. That's a really interesting concept. I guess we'll just see. Because I do think that he's going to remove the mask. I know some people are like, no, he's got to keep it on the entire time and i think i will get bored i think that's cool but like i will get bored yes yeah (laughs) gosh okay is there anything else we want to discuss with the first episode of the mandalorian i mean i don't think so i'm excited for friday like is it friday yet i'm ready it's not it's tuesday (laughs) bummer (laughs) we will be covering every episode of the mandalorian here on Skytalkers podcast. And uh, we will also be covering the show Resistance as we lead up to the rise of Skywalker. We usually have a pretty set schedule with these things, but right now we do not because there is so much Star Wars coming out. So things will be at a bit of an irregular schedule, but we promise you it will be coming. So stay tuned for that. If you like what you hear, you can find us on Twitter at Skytalkers Pod is where we're at most active and then we also have our personal handles mine is at caitlin flusher and charlotte's is at clarity we also have our website skytalkers.com and facebook and instagram and all that good stuff if you google skytalkers you'll find us where you want to interact (laughs) with us most whatever your social media platform of choice is um and if you like this episode and want to hear us keep talking about the mandalorian you should head on over to itunes and leave us a review because it makes us really really happy and we smile a lot on days that we get reviews so we would love that and if you want more ways to support us you can also head on over to our patreon and check out that if you're interested absolutely and i want to say a huge thank you to our amazing patrons Joey, Jason, Kathy, Gee, Jenna, Jessica, Mike, Thomas, Bridget, Shelbo, James, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, Bradley, Irina, Edith, Jacqueline, Rachel, Lady Vader, John, Kevin, Ian, Roz, Lakshana, Candice, Ewan, Tom, Daniel, Heather, Brooklyn, Kimma, Julia, Matthew, Captain Britton, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, Ira, Kimberly, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpamaroo, Patrick, James, Hammy, Neil, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Amy, Jared, Claire, Brad, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you. 
Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.